0: What's up, Anatomy Nerds? Welcome to another episode of Anatomy Bites. We are bringing you Anatomy in Bite sized Chunks. And today, I have a three-fur. We're going to go through three muscles today. um, Because they go together, and to be completely honest, they're kind of tripping me up right now. So they do need to be discussed as partners in crime. So, hang in tight for flexor digitorum longus, tibialis posterior and flexor hallucis longus in a few moments. And I just want to say hello to the new class of PT students that will be coming in in just a matter of weeks or months depending on where you live and which school you applied to. So, if you've been joining us as a pre-PT up until now or hey, even pre-nursing or pre-med or pre-allied health in any way, welcome to the biz and I wish you the best of luck as you get started. So to cap off the episode at the very end, I'll just talk a little bit about some advice going forward as you enter your new career and I'll promise to make it relevant to Something that I learned just last week. So, without further ado, please hang in tight for a quick message from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with those O's, I's, and A's for the three muscles of the back of the leg. That plantar flex, well, I don't want to ruin anything. Hang in tight. We're going for the back of the leg here deep, deep, deep. So I almost, like, should have had a Spoiler alert there. I almost just gave away. Well, I did kind of give away one of the actions that's coming up. So, oh, well, whoops. (laughs) Well, before we get to it, you might have heard me say the back of the leg. And I'm not wrong by saying that. When we talk about the leg in anatomy, we are actually talking about from the knee down, mostly the tibia. So when we talk about leg in anatomy, we are not talking about the entire lower extremity. If we wanted to refer to the lower extremity, we would say lower extremity. Or if we want to divide it into parts, we have the leg below the knee and the thigh, of course, being the femur. So that's your tidbit. Now, I will tell you after the O's, I's and A's, why these muscles are tripping me up so much but let's go ahead and just get right to it to jump right in and as always the text from which i'm about to read is the anatomy of the human body by henry gray it's like from 1920 so it's in the public domain which here in the united states means the book is so old that it belongs to nobody and therefore by me using it i can't get sued for copyright So that's why I use it. But the great thing about anatomy is, is that anatomy doesn't change. So occasionally, you know, there will be new research. And if I know something that is more up to date than what this text says, I'll be sure to mention it. But for all intents and purposes, this is the text that we are going to use. And let me tell you, it's pretty darn poetic. I actually really like the way that these attachments are depicted. And you'll see why, because it kind of really helps you to visualize as we're going through this. If you have a skeleton model or a drawing of sorts, feel free to follow along and point out these attachments as we go. It might help to help you visualize the process and make it more active learning. But first, let's go for it with flexor halicis longus. The flexor longus is situated on the fibular side of the leg. It arises from the inferior two-thirds of the posterior surface of the body of the fibula, with the exception of two and a half centimeters at its lowest part. From the lower part of the interosseous membrane, from an intermuscular septum between it and the peronei laterally, referring to peroneus longus and brevis, also known as fibularis, longus and brevis, and from the fascia covering the tibialis posterior medially. The fibers pass obliquely downward and backward, an end in a tendon which occupies nearly the whole length of the posterior surface of the muscle. This tendon lies in a groove which crosses the posterior surface of the lower end of the tibia. The posterior surface of the talus and the undersurface of the sustentaculum tali of the calcaneus. In the sole of the foot, it runs forward between the two heads of the flexor hallucis brevis and is inserted into the base of the last phalanx of the great toe. Discussing on the plantar side, of course. The grooves on the talus and calcaneus, which contain the tendon of the muscle, are converted by tendinous fibers into distinct canals lined by a mucous sheath. As the tendon passes forward in the sole of the foot, it is situated above and crosses from the lateral to medial side of the tendon of flexor digitorum longus to which it is connected by a fiber slip. Moving on. Now going to the attachments of flexor digitorum longus. The flexor digitorum longus is situated on the tibial side of the leg. At its origin, it is thin and pointed, but it gradually increases in size as it descends. It arises from the posterior surface of the body of the tibia, from immediately below the popliteal line to within seven or eight centimeters of its lower extremity, medial to the tibial origin of the tibialis posterior. It also arises from the fascia covering the tibialis posterior. The fibers end in a tendon, which runs nearly the whole length of the posterior surface of the muscle. This tendon passes behind the medial malleolus in a groove common to it and the tibialis posterior, but separated from the latter by a fibrous septum, each tendon being contained in a special compartment lined by a separate mucous sheath. It passes obliquely forward and lateralward, superficial, to the deltoid ligament of the ankle joint into the sole of the foot, where it crosses below the tendon of flexor hallucis longus and receives from it a strong tendinous slip it then expands and is joined by the quadratus plantae muscle and finally divides into four tendons which are inserted into the bases of the last phalanges of the second third fourth and fifth toes on the plantar side of course each tendon passing through an opening in the corresponding tendon of the flexor digitorum brevis opposite the base of the first phalanx Moving on. Tibialis posterior. The tibialis posterior lies between the two preceding muscles and is the most deeply seated of the muscles on the back of the leg. It begins above by two pointed processes separated by an angular interval through which the anterior tibial vessels passed forward to the front of the leg. It arises from the whole of the posterior surface of the interosseous membrane, excepting its lowest part, from the lateral portion of the posterior of the body of the tibia, between the commencement of the popliteal line above and the junction of the middle and lower thirds of the body below, and from the upper two thirds of the medial surface of the fibula, Some fibers also arise from the deep transverse fascia and from the intermuscular septa, separating it from the adjacent muscles. In the lower fourth of the leg, its tendon passes in front of that of the flexor digitorum longus and lies with it in a groove behind the medial malleolus, but enclosed in a separate sheath. It next passes under the lance and over the deltoid ligament into the foot and then beneath the plantar calcaneonavicular ligament. The tendon contains a sesamoid fibrocartilage as it runs under the plantar calcaneonavicular ligament. It is inserted into the tuberosity of the navicular bone and gives off fibrous expansions one of which passes backward to the sustentaculum tali of the calcaneus, others forward and lateralward to the three cuneiforms, of course on the plantar surface of the foot, the cuboid and the bases of the second, third, and fourth metatarsal bones. Boy, oh boy. Let that sink in. Before I go forward... I'm going to give you a little bit of a mnemonic to help you remember the order of these muscles in two different places. Tom, Dick, and Harry. This is what you will use to identify the order of the tendons as they pass behind the medial malleolus, going from most anterior to most posterior. Tom, Dick, and Harry. Most anterior as it passes behind the medial malleolus, Tom, tibialis posterior, followed by Dick, flexor digitorum longus, followed by the most posterior tendon, Harry, flexor hallucis longus. However, This order is not preserved, if you are to simply look at the posterior leg. At the posterior leg, the order is different. And the reason is, is because as they go from their origins to their insertions, as they pass behind the medial malleolus, the tendons crisscross, and so they change order as they go behind the medial malleolus. Now, if you are to simply look at the posterior leg and forget about Tom, Dick, and Harry, your order is now going to be, from most medial to most lateral, Dick, Tom, Harry. I know it makes no sense, but that's what you should remember. Dick, Tom, Harry. Or maybe you have your own mnemonic that can use the same three letters. Dick. Dick flexor digitorum longus, being the most medial. Then, tibialis posterior, tom, is now in the middle. And then finally, at the most lateral, flexor hallucis longus, hairy. I know, it's confusing. I'm right here with you. Now, as we go into innervations, I am going to move to a different text, The text that my program uses is Muscles Testing and Function with Posture and Pain by Kendall et al. And per Kendall, innervation of these muscles is as follows. Tibialis posterior and flexor digitorum longus are both innervated by the tibial nerve segments L4, L5, S1. Tibialis posterior flexor digitorum longus, tibial nerve, L4, L5, S1. Flexor hallucis longus is a little different. Its innervations are tibial nerve segments L5, S1, and S2. Now let's move on to actions. Tibialis posterior. The tibialis posterior is a direct extensor of the foot at the ankle joint. By this, gray simply means a plantar flexor. Acting in conjunction with the tibialis anterior, it also turns the sole of the foot upward and medialward, i.e. it inverts the foot, antagonizing the peronei. We haven't discussed the peroneals, but they are inverters, and so tibialis posterior as well as tibialis anterior counteract that by being inverters of the foot. In the sole of the foot, the tendon of the tibialis posterior lies directly below the plantar calcaneonavicular ligament and is therefore an important factor in Also, maintaining the arch of the foot. Very important muscle. If you have collapsed arches, oftentimes, depending on what your physical therapist will deem as a source, if it deems that tibialis posterior has weakness, they will often target tibialis posterior through exercise to support the arch of the foot. Moving on to flexor digitorum longus and flexor hallucis longus. The flexor digitorum longus and flexor hallucis longus are the direct flexors of the phalanges and, continuing their action, extend, or plantar flex, the foot upon a leg. They assist the gastrocnemius and soleus in extending, plantar flexing, the foot as in the act of walking or in standing on tiptoe. In consequence of the oblique direction of its tendons, the flexor digitorum longus, would draw the toes medialward were it not for the quadratus plantae, another muscle, which is inserted into the lateral side of the tendon, and draws it to the middle line of the foot. So quadratus plantae, which we have not discussed yet, helps correct that angle of pull of flexor digitorum longus. Taking their fixed point from the foot, these muscles serve to maintain the upright posture by steadying the tibia and fibula perpendicularly upon the talus. So there we have the three deep muscles of the posterior leg. They lie below the gastrosoleus complex. So if you haven't listened back to the gastro and soleus lecture or episode from a few weeks back, you can go there for the full picture of the posterior leg. Now, earlier I may have mentioned, or I did mention, that these three muscles in particular that we discussed tonight have been perplexing me for quite a while. In fact, ever since I first started studying anatomy, I just can't get it. I'm just really having a hard time with the origins, insertions, innervations, and actions. And you might say, well, Nick, you took anatomy in your first year, and now, gosh, maybe I didn't mention this, I just started my third year. Why is this a problem now? You've told us before that you don't have to go through and recite O's, I's, and A's again and again and again through your curriculum. Well, surprise. We got a little bit of a surprise this week in that we have competency exams to move from one year to the next. And this part of our curriculum was supposed to be covered in a year one competency exam a year ago. As you may recall, a year ago was quite quite a hot mess with COVID. And so this exam that we have to take, it was postponed kind of with a to be determined date. And it just kept getting postponed again and again and again. So our year one competency exams are now our year two competency exam, essentially, well, simply because it's a year late. So. We had been told by upperclassmen at some point that O's, I's, and A's were not necessary to recite. And guess again, we have just been informed with less than a week to go that yes, many O's, I's, and A's will be up for grabs on this exam. Real fun stuff, but uh, to say the least, I've been reviewing a lot today. And again, this issue that I had prior with these three very muscles is still something that I'm struggling with today. So know that if you are struggling to get some origin, insertion, innervation, and action, you are not alone. This happens to the best of us. And the best way, as I've mentioned again and again, to really, really learn is to take in all senses, to draw it, to touch it on your skeleton model, to trace it out, on a a drawing to hear it to see it and lots and lots and lots of repetition. I'm sure that by Friday by the time my exam comes I'll be able to recite these off the top of my head as I once was able to do. As you know I do not think that rote memorization is a good study technique and um, you know Obviously, it works better in some cases than others. There's some As that I can repeat and pull out of my head from two years ago, and it's like no time has passed, and yet these three that I just never really understood before um, continue to boggle my mind. I don't know why, it's just I'm having a very hard time visualizing, probably because these muscles are so deep in the body that they aren't palpable really you can palpate the tendons but you can't palpate the muscle bellies and and maybe that's part of the problem for me so know that that is um something that we all struggle with and you're not alone if you're having that problem and this leads right into what i wanted to tell you about for my little bit of of advice before we sign off for the night for our incoming new class of medical professional students again i want to congratulate you And just start by cheering you on as you enter this new field that you are probably really excited to be about. I know you worked really hard to get here. And I want to start off by just telling you that that work ethic that got you here, yes, can keep you going, but you're going to have to be flexible with your study techniques and let several things go. The same study techniques that got you here may not be the same study techniques that you will carry on through your career. You might find that you need to make several adjustments before you find the new nuances that you need for each different subject and each different professor. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about perfectionism because this is something that we all being these type A students struggle with we make this transition into these types of graduate programs and if you don't get a handle on it early it's just gonna make life harder down the line and maybe you've heard this advice already from many people and maybe so many times to the point where it starts to feel trite but I wanted to give you an example of something that happened to me very recently which kind of just goes to prove the point so As many of you know, I like to share a lot of personal stories here just because why not? It's relatable. We're all going through this stuff together, so why not share? So the point is, is that I'm not telling you this advice from some kind of pedestal or high horse. It's coming from me as someone who you can relate to because this is still something that I struggle with every single day, perfectionism. And so I'll just start by saying that this semester was probably the most challenging for me of my program so far, not because of the content of the coursework, but because I was stretched very thin due to some extracurricular responsibilities. And so my time management skills really started to expose themselves for the weaknesses that they have. I've never been great at time management, but I make up for it with really hard work. And with perfectionism that I deal with all the time, that technique became unsustainable for me and I found myself, you know, starting to suffer from that. So uh, I'll start off by saying that I, on Friday, logged into our grades portal after a really, really hellish two weeks of final exams, presentations, lab practicals, you name it. And um, year two competencies, uh, our multiple choice portion was also in the middle of all of that. So it was just the last two weeks were extremely hectic and very, very draining with lots and lots of late nights and not as much sleep as you should probably get and a lot more caffeine than you should probably get and so I logged in to my grade portal on Friday to see if any of our final exam grades had been um, put in for the semester. And you know, usually our professors will do an item analysis following each exam to see if there is a need for a curve. This usually occurs because you know, several students will miss a question, which means that the professor maybe didn't teach it in a way that sunk in or that the question was written in a confusing way. And so almost all exams that we have are curved in some way to reflect that and give us a bit of a fair cushion um, to help us actually reflect what we've learned. And so there was one exam that I knew that I just needed. I had a very borderline grade and I needed like a 1% curve on the exam to get the next higher grade in the class. And in the United States, our grading system is A, B, C, D, E, no E, A, B, <laughs> C, D, and F, in which a D and an F are fail, and you would have to repeat the course, but an A, B, or C will will suffice. And all programs have different rules about what kind of grade point average you need. Um, and then several schools will do like plus and minus system as well to further differentiate the grade versus like a plus a minus and a plus would be like the highest of the high and a minus is still in the a range but on the lower spectrum so our school does not use pluses and minuses and so whether you get a 90% or a hundred percent you get an A whether you get an 80% or an 89% you get a B there's no plus or minus and same goes with the C well I ended up getting my first lowest grade in the program, which was a C. I had a 79% in the class after the final exam, and I was hoping that with any potential curve, it might bump me up to an 80. And, you know, my grade point average is really good, so I shouldn't feel some kind of failure from this because I still got a high enough mark in the class to move forward and I truly believe that this grade is not a reflection of my interest in that subject matter it was just that the way that some of the assignments were graded um, didn't really uh, reflect I thought what I was learning in the course but that's neither here nor there regardless the point is is that I was stretched too thin for the last four or five months and my time management skills suffered which ultimately led to less time to study and prepare and do all the things that I needed to do to keep my grades where I wanted them to be I got great grades in the other subjects by the way it's just this one didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to but still good enough to move forward now what happened, why why was I so stretched thin? And it was actually because I received a, a challenge, if you will, an honor, an honorable challenge from one of my professors to take on extra responsibility in one of our courses. So we have a pro bono clinic for neurologic patients and typically it's divided per one patient. There's either a team of two or a team of four for each patient. And because our class has an odd number, I was given my own patient, which was a really, really, really cool experience. And I just learned so much and I had a great time and my patient and I, we got along so great and you know, It was all in all just an incredible experience to be able to take a case from start to finish doing all of the documentation on my own now where that really got to my perfectionism was that we have several assignments for that class which include an evaluation a progress note a discharge and um, of course all the soap notes your treatment notes for documentation on the days that i treated as well as the final presentation i will say as an aside that on the alternate day when my patient would come in that i was not assigned there was a rotation of volunteers so i wasn't the only person treating him but as far as the responsibility for the, the coursework i was by myself so anyway I come from a very writing heavy undergraduate program. I'm a career changer, so I didn't take science for my undergraduate degree. I took a very writing intensive major in political science and anthropology. And so I had a lot of training as a writer for a long time. And this is not the kind of writing that they want in a science profession. In fact, the more succinct, the more concise, and the more efficient, the better, which is something that I really struggle with. So throughout the course of the semester, with each new assignment that we had, I spent more time and more time and more time than I should have. And I kept trying to get more efficient and more concise, and I did, but it was still a struggle and still a challenge. And with the accumulation of all of those assignments, I started to fall behind in my other classes. Now, I could have recognized that fact and said, hey, I need to balance better. Maybe I should spend less time on this and more time on everything else because that's what my logical brain knows is the right thing to do. But here's, here's the rub. The perfectionist in me couldn't let it go i had to re-review make sure i was saying the right thing make sure i included everything i needed to include thorough as can be i mean i got lots of compliments on my soap notes and my documentation from my professor but wow did it really take so much of my mental energy to try to get to that point where it could even be called remotely concise. And so it was a great experience to learn and I think it will really help me once I get to my clinical rotations to really trim the fat on my notes. But, but, perfectionism always comes at a cost. That is what I'm trying to communicate. So you need to start to learn when to push away from the table, so to speak. Put the notes down and walk away. You need to learn how to do that and you're never going to feel like it's good enough. So you have to change your perception of what is good enough. If you struggle with perfectionism at all, you are always going to find something else that you want to be better about it. But this mentality in grad school, when you have seven classes and all of them are heavy, you don't have time for that. And so this isn't like to freak you out, it's to really just help you embrace the mentality to push it away, walk away, take a five minute break, and move on to something else. At the end of the day, You're still gonna be an amazing clinician if you put in the work to know what is good enough. And of course it has to be good enough. You gotta go back to my episode. I have a whole episode (laughs) called good enough. You have to know when good enough is actually good enough, but at the same time, know when it's good enough. Not perfect. It's okay. As long as you cover your bases, everything is gonna be fine. So that is my advice to you going into PC school, going into med school, going into nursing school. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable as far as your perfectionism goes. Because it will always try to drag you in for five more minutes, ten more minutes. 30 more minutes. And if I can be completely honest with you, I was actually going to start off this podcast episode today just with an entire episode about perfectionism. And in the nature, in the true nature of perfectionism, I probably started about three different recordings and none of them felt right. So I had to put it down and walk away. And I came back with Anatomy. (laughs) <laughs> so, I figured I'll just put a little bit of this in at the end. That way I can still say what I need to say, but I couldn't even feel good enough about it to just post it and let it be. I had to put it down and walk away. So, it continues to be something that I deal with every day and I'm still working on it and I will continue to work on it because there's more peace when you can feel good enough. There's more peace and more time to devote to your creativity, to devote to your learning in other areas and being a well-rounded human being, which is incredibly important. By the way, during that whole semester, the last month, maybe six weeks, when I really started to feel that crunch, I stopped going out. I only took off Saturday nights. I pulled 12 to 16 hour days, six days a week, and eight hour days on the last remaining day of the week. I hardly exercised. Some days I didn't see the sun (laughs) except through the window. I mean, really, it wasn't good. And I also think that if I had convinced myself to take more breaks to feed my brain in other ways, that I probably would have gotten a better grade. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I will say I did get an award of excellence in our neuro clinic because of my work with my patient. And for that, I am very proud, so there's always the flip side, <laughs> so I don't know if this is helpful at all or not, but, um, you know, I guess we chase the things that are interesting to us, but make sure that you don't chase so hard to uh, the detriment of what else is important, because you still got to pass, you still, <laughs> and I did, but, you know, it still doesn't feel good to uh, not get the grade that you want, but, hey. That's life. Anyway, um, I want to welcome you aboard. And for those of you who are going into year two or year three or graduating or just moving forward in some way in your life, thank you for being here and sticking with. And as always, feel free to reach out on social media. I'm always here for you. Uh, Twitter, sometimes. Instagram, all the time, and TikTok, every once in a blue moon, at Nikki-Ray, that's at N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E. Thank you so much. Have a great night.